Welcome, people of the internet, to the first episode of Lukewarm Popcorn. It is a new podcast that I, Luke, am starting to talk about movies and TV shows that I watch and just my general thoughts. Um, who knows, every once in a while maybe it'll be a review. Um, for our inaugural episode, the topic is going to be the 93rd Oscars and more specifically the Best Picture nominations. So a big part of the reason that I wanted to start this podcast is because over the last, um, let's say, five years or so, I've been um, sort of working on predicting what the best picture would be at the Oscars. Um, And over the last three years, specifically, I was able to watch every single nominee um, and make predictions in every single category before that i would just sort of watch it on the night and if a movie that i recognized showed up in the nominee list then i would be rooting for that one but um around the last three years or so i sort of started to um do do a little more work on my predictions and sort of make a make a like a hobby out of it Um, so this year there are eight nominees. Um, those nominees are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. So over the last 11 years, or actually at the 11 year ago mark, they changed the rules so that instead of having five Best Picture nominees in that category, which is what it was before, um, they changed it to having up to 10. So in the last 11 years, there have been between 8 and 10 movies nominated in this category. So the first part of this episode, I'm going to talk about each of the movies and sort of my, my initial thoughts on them. I'm going to read a little synopsis and talk about it a little bit. Try not to give away any spoilers. There's a few movies where it's hard to not talk about spoilers while you're talking about it. Um, but I'll, I'll do my best. And if I slip up, I promise it's not malicious and I doubt it'll be anything, um, crucial that'll, that'll ruin the movie. I'm really going to try and avoid those. Um, but other than that, so the first part of the movie I'll talk about, like sort of my thoughts on the movies and my feelings on them. Um, and then the back half of the move of this episode, I'm going to rip them apart with numbers because who doesn't love to ruin art with math? Um, but let's, let's get started. Um, so the first, and I'm going to talk about these movies in the order that I saw them. So, um, flashback one about a month ago on March 15th, they announced all the nominees, and the first one I got to see was Nomadland. Nomadland is about a woman, played by Frances McDormand, who loses everything in the recession and decides to live in a van as a modern-day nomad. Everything she owns is in this van. She travels from sort of different nomad meetup points where she interacts with people who are living the same lifestyle. Um, 
and she she pretty much throughout the movie she goes from one location to another one she gets to see all these beautiful sights um, one really interesting part about this movie was that they actually used real people who live this way so live out of vans they travel almost 100% of their time they find odd jobs here and there to sort of keep um, money flowing um, and so it, they, they fe- feature real real nomadic people instead of um, like big name actors for every character um, so this movie has was uh, nominated in six different categories those categories are best picture obviously all of these movies are going to be best picture that's why we're talking uh, so best picture best director best actress for francis mcdormand um, best adapted screenplay best film editing and best cinematography um, of these awards i think it's got a good shot at getting best cinematography um, if you pay attention to the you know, the, the betting odds that they play for these movies. This is actually the front runner. And I don't know if my tone has given it away. I've tried really hard not to, but I actually did not like this movie that much. <laughs> um, I found it to be quite boring. Uh, Frances McDormand is a great actress, but she, she does this sort of minimalist acting in this movie where she doesn't say a lot. She doesn't her, her reactions are very reserved and that coupled with the fact that there's not a lot of plot going on and that there's not really a big character arc. I just found myself bored of this movie more than I would have hoped to be. Um, which kind of set the tone for the rest of them because this is a, a weird year that we're living in right now with COVID and everything. And another facet of this is that they pushed because movies and the, and the release dates of movies kept getting pushed back and pushed back. They pushed back the, the window that nominations could be made in. So instead of being just 2020 from January 1st to December 31st, it actually ranged all the way to February 28th. So instead of 12 months, it's 14 months. Um, which I don't agree with. I think it sort of ruins the, the integrity a little bit of what the award means because it's no longer representative of what 2020 was, which I, we all know there's a big asterisk on 2020 for everything. Um, but I kind of liked that that's what it was going to be. Like, not every year has to improve on the last if you have a bad year, I feel like it should reflect in in the the nominations and the awards. But um, but they moved the goalposts on us, so we have we were able to get some some really strong movies out. A lot of these movies came out in January and February, um, which is not um, unlike what usually happens. Usually they come out in November or December. So they usually like to push it till right before the awards. So it's fresh in everybody's mind. Um, but so most of these movies came out in 2021. Um, but yeah. Um, so Nomadland, not a big fan, but it is currently the front runner. Um, but we'll talk about that later. Um, the next movie I saw was Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, this movie uh, focuses on 7, or really 8, 
Um, people who were on trial for various reasons during an uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Um, mainly, I mean, there are many um, actors in this movie, a lot of famous people, a lot of um, people who I've recognized from other things, but I don't know their names. And um, But the main players are Eddie Redmayne, who you might know from Fantastic Beasts, um, or The Danish Girl was another uh, movie that he was in. Um, Theory of Everything, that's another great one. I'm not just going to list off Eddie Redmayne movies the whole time. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen, who is mainly in my mind as Borat or Bruno or whatever those movies were, which, you know, I would have thought would have been just this sort of distant memory that we all had. But, you know, they made a sequel that also came out last year or this year. And it's crazy to me that that happened. But anyway, so Sasha Baron Cohen has pretty much only been Borat in my brain. And that's a movie that I saw once and proceeded to never think about that movie again. Um, but he is incredible in this movie. He, like, changed my whole opinion of who he is. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, is in this movie. He has a smaller part. He's not one of the seven. He is one... He's, like, the prosecutor, or on the side of the prosecution. Um, but he's got he's got good moments. Um... Another key person that I loved in this was Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, um, which he he is the eighth person on trial who is trying as hard as he can not to be associated with the other seven because I think he he keeps getting lumped with them and he's just getting screwed over in every possible facet. He's doesn't have representation. He wasn't even there for more than like an hour and not at all when the like violence um, was erupting. So he's, he's getting the raw end of the deal in every way. And he, he's, he's, he's like his part in this movie seems like it's um, like almost adjacent to, the seven, but it's, it's such, there's so many key moments in his, in his parts of this movie. Um, another great, um, actor in this is Mark Rylance, who won for best supporting actor a few years ago for Bridge of Spies. That was really the first big thing that I saw him in that I just loved. Um, Michael Keaton is in this. I love me some Michael Keaton. It's always a pleasure when he pops up. Um, he's got a smaller, like a really small role in this, but it's it always just made me smile. Um, this movie was also nominated for six awards, including Best Picture, Sporting Actor, Original Screenplay, Film Editing, Cinematography, and Original Song. Um, I'd say it's got a good shot at screenplay and probably film editing as well. I love the way that this movie was edited. It, it sort of goes back and forth between like the trial and the events that the trial are about and the way, just the way they tell a story really, really works well. Um, so the third movie I, I saw was Sound of Metal. Um, so this one is about a heavy metal drummer whose life is thrown into free fall when he begins to lose his hearing. 
And can I just say, I'm not a big fan of heavy metal music, so I wasn't, like, I was apprehensive about watching this movie in the first place because I was like, oh, it's going to be heavy metal all the time. It so wasn't. Um, there is, there obviously, there's got to be some drumming scenes for him right in the beginning, but the onset of his of him going deaf and just the way it plays out are so just imprinted in my brain i feel like it's it's so strong it really puts you into his position and how frightening it would be how life-changing it would be to like suddenly go deaf as an adult like it's it changes all of your plans and the whole movie's about like it's it's him and he's following this sort of two paths simultaneously one is he's learning how to deal with being deaf because it's not something you could just undo on the flip of a switch so he has to learn to deal with it and he has to learn how how his life is going to be after now that he's deaf Um, but he's also trying to in addition to moving on he's also trying to get back to what he had which is being a drummer in a heavy metal band he needs to hear to be able to keep rhythm and keep up with the songs. So he's his his goal is to um, get a cochlear implant to sort of correct the thing, and um, just just sort of the the emotional arcs between different characters and the decisions that he's making and the results. Like, the sound editing for this movie is so good. It, like, I can't, I couldn't imagine what it's like to go deaf, but the sound editing that this movie does, like, really puts you in it more than anything. Like, if if this movie doesn't win best sound, I don't know what should. Like, something's wrong. Um, but this movie and another movie later on really put you in what it's like to be this character in such a powerful way. Um, so this movie, or yeah, this movie was also nominated for six different awards, including Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Original Screenplay, Best Sound Design, which it should win, and Best Film Editing. Um, some key players in this. Uh, are Riz Ahmed, who I mainly know from Rogue One. He played the pilot, who goes, I am the pilot, because he lost his memory. Um, Olivia Cook is in this movie. She, I mainly know her from, um, I was going to say Rogue One again, Ready Player One, who, um, she plays Artemis, who's like the, the main actress in that movie. Um... She's also in a movie called Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, where she plays, spoiler alert, the Dying Girl. Um, and then there's uh, Paul Racy, who is up for Best Supporting Actor. I don't know what else he's in, really. I browsed it quickly, and there was nothing that came to mind. I'm sure there are, but um, like I said, I, I'm, I'm not really familiar with his work. Um, the fourth movie I saw was Mank. Um, so this is the story of Herman J. Mankiewicz, who lived in the 1930s. He was a Hollywood, or he, yeah, he lived in Hollywood, and he, the movie's sort of about his life, and he's like a scathing social critic and an alcoholic screenwriter, 
and he's racing to finish uh, the screenplay for Citizen Kane. Um, if if my choppy sort of description of what that movie was is uh, throwing you off, so will this movie because I feel like it was very choppy as well, um, mainly in uh, or part partially in the way it's filmed, which is sort of like a art housey trying to be um, I don't know. It's trying to be, like, very unique. I feel like it's black and white. It's um, all over the place. There's this weird political subplot that I don't know too much about 1930s politics. I don't care about politics most of the time. Um, And it really throws me out of it, too. So uh, maybe if it was, like, a tighter, like, if they just stuck to one thing, I would have liked it more. But this one was another one that bored me. This one and Nomadland are the... My two least favorite movies on this whole list. Um, and, and I saw Citizen Kane for, or I watched it for a course in college. Um, the course was Ideas That Changed the World. And this was sort of a movie that really shook up the, the, the movie making game. It did this thing where it had the background and the foreground and the middle ground all like in the same focus. And like, I really loved learning about Citizen Kane. And, I mean, the movie didn't really um, drive me to love more movies. But it, it like, I mean, I, re- I remember liking it enough. But to have, like, for Mank, it's like a movie about the behind the scenes of a movie that was I was already, like, lukewarm on. But um, And so, so it just wasn't for me. But this movie has the most nominations of any movie on this list at 10 nominations. Um, Gary Oldman's in this movie, who everybody knows from the their favorite movie, which is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, hello, of course. Uh, no, it's just that's just one of my favorite movies. And I'm not even being ironic. I love that movie so much. Um, but you would probably know him from... I mean, you know who he is. But he's in um, Harry Potter as Sirius Black. He's in the Dark Knight trilogy as Gary Oldman and a hundred other things. Uh, Amanda Seyfried's in this movie. I'm probably going to say multiple people's names wrong in this. So if I messed her up, it's not going to be the first one. Uh, I mean, it's not going to be the last one. Um, I know her from Mamma Mia, and I'm sure a bunch of other things, but that's the only thing I could think of her in right now. Um, And then Lily Collins is also in this movie. And Lily Collins is is the daughter of Phil Collins, which I hate that that's her. uh, That's what I'm recognizing her as, but I do love Phil Collins, and she's great as well. She's in a movie called Stuck in Love, which I love. It's not a very popular movie, but it was on Netflix, and I saw it, and it was... It's it's one that sticks in my mind. Like, that crazy stupid love, Easy A, like, that's right up there with them. Um, so if you haven't seen that movie, it's great and you should watch it. Um, the, the best picture nominees for Mank are best picture, best director, best actor, best supporting actress, best costume design, best original score, best sound design, best production design, best cinematography, and best makeup and hairstyling. Like I said, that one won 10 nominees. Um, 
But yeah, so that is Mank. All right, the fifth movie I saw, and this is where I'm going to pause for a minute because um, the next movie I was planning on watching was Judas and the Black Messiah, which when I went to go watch it, I or when I started this, I made a list of where each movie was streaming and which movies I was going to have to like find other options for. And originally when I made my list, Judas and the Black Messiah was on HBO Max, but then it wasn't when I went to go watch it because I'm a big dummy and forgot that HBO Max is only doing the their their first run movie theaters watches for like one month and then they're taking them off HBO Max. So I thought I missed it and then I stopped watching these movies because I was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to watch seven out of the eight and then I still haven't even like finished it. It's like running a race and then stopping at the end. I was like, oh, that's kind of like, it, it just demoralized me. So I paused for a week and then someone um, uh, showed me a theater near where I live, which was not the theater that I was expecting. Like, that's really close to where I live, but there was one a little farther out that was playing it. Um, and so that was actually the first movie that I was able to go back and see in over a year, which is huge. Um, the last movie I saw in theaters were Onward and Birds of Prey in March of 2020. And it's April now, and <laughs> that's the longest I've ever gone without watching a movie normally like i bankrupt movie pass like it was it was game over for them <laughs> when, they, when i got that so anyway so i watched i did end up getting to see judas and the black messiah um so that movie is about bill o'neill as he infiltrates the black panther party on behalf of fbi agent mitchell and j Edgar hoover um and as party chairman fred hampton um, as he is, ascends, he's falling for a fellow re revolutionary and a battle wages for O'Neill's soul. Um, so one thing about these movies is I did not read any synopses before watching them and I did not watch any trailers before watching them. So I went into all eight of these movies essentially blind. Um, and this one... Despite, despite that, the title of this movie should have given away some of the plot points. And so I'm going to spoil this movie a little bit for you, but the title should spoil this movie. And it didn't for me for some reason. But um, Lakeith St Stanfield, the, the main character, um, he plays Bill O'Neill in this movie, and Daniel Kaluuya who plays Fred Hampton, the leader of the Black Panther Party. Um, like, I, I should have realized about, at a certain point, that one of these characters was the Black Messiah, and one of these characters was the Judas. And I just didn't. <laughs> I, I, like, there, I have no excuse other than that I was just expecting this Licky Steinfeld's character to just pull it around in the end and start making great decisions. And it just wasn't happening. It, um, it did not go my way. So ultimately it, it becomes a rough watch because the character who you're kind of in the eyes of is just making bad decisions and, and he just keeps doing it. Um, so Lakeith Steinfeld, he is from 
Sorry to Bother You, which is easily the most bonkers movie you will ever see in your life. And if you haven't seen it, I do recommend it with an asterisk being it's, it is crazy. It's, it's a weird movie. And if you don't like it, it's, I, I, I get it. It's not for everyone. And it's, it's mainly just the end of it that it really throws you off. It's a big, big left turn. Um, and he's also in Knives Out and he's in Atlanta with Donald Glover. Um, and he's so good in Atlanta. Um, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, who plays Fred Hampton in this movie, he was in Black Panther, um, ironically, <laughs> and he was in uh, Get Out. He was the main character in Get Out. Um, and then there's Jesse Plemons, who plays the FBI agent who's sort of conning, not conning, but uh, blackmailing Bill O'Neill to, to be this sort of informant for him. And Jesse Plemons, I like to refer to as fake Matt Damon. And I also like to refer to him as budget Matt Damon. Because his face looks like like a warped version of Matt Damon's face. So I see him and I'm always like, you look like Matt Damon, but like not quite. Um, and he always plays these unsettling characters. So it's like... It's like a like a funhouse mirror version of Matt Damon, and he's playing like funhouse character versions of like people that Matt Damon would play. He's he's been in a lot. He's been in um, a lot of Best Picture movies too, which are The Irishman, Vice, The Post, Bridge of Spies. Um, what I mainly know him from is Black Mirror. There's an episode where they're sort of riffing on Star Trek. And he is crazy in that movie. Uh, or that episode. Um, but anyway, yeah. So this movie was nominated for six awards as well, which are Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actor again. Both Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Steinfeld got Supporting Actor for this. Um, best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, and Best Original Song. Um, the next movie I'm going to talk about is Minari. This movie was nominated for six awards. Um, so this movie, it follows a Korean family as they start a farm in 1980s Arkansas. Um, so it's, it's, a you know, your nuclear family with a dad, a mom, a daughter, a son. This son is the cutest little, uh, kid that you'll ever see and it's so he's so adorable and in the movie he has like a a heart condition so he's like he's trying to run but everybody keeps telling him not to run and and it's it's so it's so sad but it's like he he's so adorable um the daughter uh sort of she falls into this role of trying to watch him while both the parents are trying to go to work and make money so that they can sort of live the American dream. The dad, um, he moved the family out to Arkansas to start a farm. Um, and he's really just like trying to start it from the ground up. Um, and then the mother is very concerned for the father's decision to move the family because she thinks that it is sort of a big red flag um, to the son's health. So, like, if 
the son needed to go to the hospital. They lived very far away from the hospital, and they used to have better paying jobs, and now they're just trying to sort of scrape by, and if their son does need sort of a surgery or something, they, they're kind of going to be in a bind. Um, at a certain point in this movie, uh, the mother's mother, so the kid's grandmother, um, comes to live with them, and she's this character. Oh, man, she's all over the place. She's so funny. She's so odd. This movie has a lot of humor in it, and it's... it's uh, it's mainly surrounding the the kid and the grandmother. They're they're very funny together, um, and it, so this gram the grandmother who's played by Yoo Jung Yoon, um, she is up for best actress, and I have no doubt that she will get it. If not, just be a, the biggest contender for it because she's so funny in this. Um, yeah, so this movie is also is nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor. The father, um, who is played by Stephen Yoon, he's nominated for Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, um, Best Original Score, and Best Original Screenplay. Um, so the next movie I saw was The Father, which has six nominations. Um, this movie is about a man who refuses all assistance from his daughter as he ages. And as he tries to make sense of his changing circumstances, he begins to doubt his loved ones. He begins to doubt his mind, and he even begins to doubt the fabric of his reality. This movie hurt my brain to watch. Man, if there is ever a quintessential movie about an unreliable narrator, this is it. Because... It, it's, it starts off with the daughter and she's, she's talking to him about how she needs to move to Paris. And, and then the next day she's talking about how, um, what oh, she wanted to move to Paris to, to meet, to be with her boyfriend. So the next day she's talking about how she wants to, or that she's living in that house. Like it's her house and she has a husband. And then the next day it's like a different actor actress is playing her daughter and he's like you're not my daughter and she's like what are you talking about of course i am and then the next day it's like back to the original actress and she's moving to paris again and you're 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 so confused as to what's going on in this movie and so is he so uh so is the the um anthony hopkins character he plays the father um and it's it's so revealing that he doesn't know what's going on and you do. And it, it's just the way, the way it unfolds is, is so great, but it is sort of, um, like a rough watch. Um, uh, Olivia Coleman is also in this movie. She plays the daughter part of the time. Um, uh, Mark Gatiss is in this movie as well. He, um, I know him mainly as Mycroft from Sherlock, and he's always a pleasure to see pop up and things. Um, Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman are up for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actress, and the other movie, the other no, uh, categories this movie is nominated in are Best Picture, Actor, Supporting Actress, Adapted Screenplay, Production Design, and Film Editing. Uh, the last movie on our list is promising young woman and this is 
one of my favorites out of this list. This one and Trial of the Chicago 7 are the two are the two that I just loved. Um, this movie is about a young woman who's traumatized by a traumatic event in her past and she seeks out vengeance against those who have crossed her path. Um, Carrie Mulligan is the star of this movie and she should be the star of every movie because she's so great in this. Um, she, I don't, I've only ever seen her, I think, in one other thing, which was she was in the new Great Gatsby movie and she played Daisy. Um, I vaguely remember that movie. So that was only like part of it. She's pretty much just this movie to me now. And so, so this movie, I will say the, the traumatizing incident in this movie, um, is, uh, sexual assault that's sort of the the theme not the theme but the the event that is recurring in this in this movie so if 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 that is sort of a trigger for you this movie might be a rough watch but it's also i feel like a cathartic watch because it's framed in revenge and her taking down uh, people who are potential sexual assaulters um and uh there's so many comedians in this movie so for a heavy topic they have so many comedians because a part of this movie is is showing you that despite how many people like to claim they're the good guy which comedians often are framed as good guys um like a lot of them are like lying to themselves about what it means to be a good guy. And they're actually kind of creeps. And um, ju just the fact that, that it's playing it, like a lot of these characters are played by people that we like, but they're doing horrible things is just, it's, it's perfect. Um, and I'm not going to tell you who, who's, who are good guys and who are bad guys, but um, Bo Burnham's in this. He's so funny in this. Um, Adam Brody, I know him from the OC. I didn't really watch the OC, but that's what I recognize him from. Christopher Mintz Place is in this. He played McLovin in Superbad. Uh, Max Greenfield's in this. He was Schmidt from New Girl. Um, Allison Bree's in this. Uh, she's Annie from Community. She's in Glow. She's in so many movies, and she's kind of typecast as not a mean girl, but like antagonist girl who's always like getting on the main character's sort of case for something and i don't like that she's typecast in these kind of roles but she's always uh wonderful to see um but yeah so this this movie it's so good it it it's, it has an unexpected ending as well but i think it's perfect um so, that being said, let us move on to the part of this where I destroy these movies with math. So, as I begin with the analytics part of this, let us talk about the movies that I'm going to be comparing these movies to. So, the data set that I chose to use is based off of the last 11 years of Oscar movies. Um, and more, more specifically, it's just about the winners because I'm trying to predict the winner. 
Um, so, like I said, the last 11 years are when they expanded the category to be up to 10 movies um, instead of just five in order from most um, oldest to most recent. Those movies are The Hurt Locker, The King's Speech, The Artist, Argo, 12 Years a Slave, Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, Spotlight, Moonlight, The Shape of Water, Green Book, and Parasite. Um, I will say, in all of my years of trying to predict the Oscar nominations, I have never gotten Best Picture right. I've gotten many of the awards right. Um, but I've never gotten Best Picture right. So I aim to change that here with you today. Um, in in the past three years is when I've done my full every category predictions. And starting with three years ago, the year Shape of Water one, I went 11 out of 24 categories, which is 45.8%. Um, the next year, when Green Book won, I went 13 out of 24 categories, which is 54.2%. Um, and last year, I went 16 out of 24 categories for 66.7%, which I was very proud of. Two, two, getting two-thirds of them right, I think, is a little impressive. Not to toot my own horn. Um, and that being said, that is with, with the short uh, categories. So that'd be... Um, Best Animated Short, Best Live Action Short, and Best Documentary Short. Um, so if you take those out because those movie, those um, those categories, they're they're not nominated for anything else besides that one category. Um, so if you remove those, then my ratio is ten out of twenty one, eleven out of twenty one, and thirteen out of twenty one for. 47.6, 52.4, and 62% respectively. Um, this year, however, there are only 23 categories, or 20 if you take out the short categories again, because they combined the sound mixing and the sound editing categories into just best sound, which I'm okay with because I had a hard time um, dis like distinguishing between sound mixing and sound editing. Sound mixing, I'm pretty sure, is, like, how they create the noises in the movie. So, like, banging a piece of metal to create thunder is sort of the analogy I always think of. Um, and then sound editing is, like, where in the movie they choose to use that sound to elicit an effect. Um, but I always have a hard time, like, because a lot of those same movies are nominated for both, so I always have a hard time picking which one would be which and I end up usually just picking the same movie for both and this year they are the same and this year it'll be The Sound of Metal because that has the best use of sound of any movie I've ever seen I would say um, so the format that I'm going to use to analyze these movies is I'm going to look at the last 11 years and I'm going to see how many of those movies were nominated in different categories and if they ranked up enough of the same types of nominations um, I will use that as a contributing factor to what movie might win best picture um, and also conversely like if, if only one movie of the 11 was nominated in a certain category then I would say it's probably not a good predictor of what will win best picture 
Um, so the first question you might ask is, is the movie that got the most nominations in general going to win Best Picture? And to that I say no. No, it's not. Because if you look at the last 11 years, only four of the last 11 years did the movie that got the best picture, that one best picture had also the most nominations. And two of those years, it was tied for first. So, but there's really only two like concrete years where it won. Um, However, I will say only one of the years did the movie that had the least nominations win. Um, So the movie this year that had the most nominations was Mank with 10. Um, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give that one an X for that category, but I will give the movie that had the least amount of nominations an X, which was unfortunately um, Promising Young Woman, which is such a shame because that one is one of my favorites, as I've mentioned. Um, so based on the last 11 years, there are a few categories where 11 out of 11 of those movies have the same nomination. Uh, The first of those nominations is Best Picture, obviously, but you can't use that as analytics because that's just an obvious dumb joke. Anyway, um, so, but one one, one of the categories for real is, and this is actually two categories, um, is a Best Screenplay Award. So all 11 movies of the last 11 years won a Best Screenplay Award, either Best Original Screenplay or Best Adapted Screenplay. You can't win both, so if you combine the categories, it's kind of an all-encompassing screenplay award. Um, There is one movie this year that was not nominated for a screenplay award at all, and that movie was Mank. So I'm giving Mank a big X. So if we break down the screenplay awards, though, because I combined them, but if you look at the ratio, eight out of the 11 were best original screenplay, and only three out of the 11 were best adapted screenplay. Um, So I am going to include that as sort of a counter indicator because um, there's such such a big difference between those. and so, so Nomadland and The Father both had adapted screenplay awards. The next category that was actually came as a surprise to me, because um, it wasn't one of the big six or the big eight, as I've reevaluated. So the big six for me were Best Picture, Best Director, and then the four acting awards. So Best Actor, Actress, Supporting Actress, Supporting Actor. Um, but I've, I've included original screenplay and adapted screenplay into that because that's pretty much acting, directing, writing. Um, and so this, so Best Film Editing, which I consider as one of the outside categories, Best Film Editing has gone to, or 10 of the last 11 years have been nominated for film editing. And the only one to not was Birdman, which I don't know if you've seen Birdman, but that movie is designed to be like all in one shot. And I don't know if they actually filmed it all in one shot because I was under the impression that they didn't and that they edited it to look like one shot. So I thought the editing of that movie was impressive, but I could be wrong. 
Um, so, but 10 out of 11, that's, that's a big indicator. So Judas, Mank, and Minari are the only three that did not get a Best Film Editing Award this time. And part of, part of that is because they're only nominated five movies in that category. Um, and we have eight movies. So obviously not all eight movies are going to get this award. But so those are the three that did not get it this time. Um, the next um, most category was Best Director, which nine of the last 11 years have gotten a Best Director nomination. The only two years that didn't were Argo and Green Book. Um, this year, there were four movies that did not get a Best Director nomination, which are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago 7. So at this point in time, each movie has at least one X, and The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, and Mank each have two. Um, the next category, and so this, this is where we're going to talk about the acting, and the biggest indicator for, for acting of whether a movie will win Best Picture is supporting actor and actress. So if you combine those two categories, nine out of the 11 years a movie has been that has won has been nominated for a best supporting actor or actress the only two years that it didn't were parasite and the hurt locker um there are two movies this year that did not get a supporting actor or actress and those two movies are nomadland and promising young woman um if we break that down even further if you split up actor and actress or supporting actor and supporting actress the ratio is 8 out of 11 for actor or supporting actor and 7 out of 11 for supporting actress. Um, so it's pretty, pretty comparable, pretty even. Um, and six out of those years, out of the nine, um, the movies got both supporting actor and supporting actress. So there's a lot of overlap there, too. Um, on the other hand, if you just look at like just best actor and best actress, not only is there less of an indicator, but there's also a big like discord between actor and actress. Um, so, so if you combine them, seven out of the last 11 years, a, a movie that won has been nominated for best, best actor and actress. And if you split that up, it's six out of 11 for actor and only one out of 11 for actress, which is kind of disappointing. And I know the the Oscars have been very um, criticized in recent years for not being very diverse. And I know they came out with plans to sort of um, combat this. Um, I'm not going to go into great detail about it. But they, they, they have put in um, sort of mandates um, for what can be, what can qualify for these movies that sort of... Um, make them start thinking about um, the diversity a little more. So I'm hoping those ratios will even out. It uh, They don't have to become indicators, but they should at least, from male to female, at least even out a little better than six to one. Um, but yeah, so... The next category we are going to talk about, actually, at this point, we're going to talk about 
just the rest of the categories and and none of none of them are going to get x's for for these um, because these aren't really indicators either way they're kind of down the middle um, so the the remaining categories so score and cinematography both had six out of eleven um, production design and sound design were just five out of eleven costume design was only four out of eleven um, so like i said those are pretty much 50 50 50 around there um, less actually um but there are actually five categories that the movie that won Best Picture never got a nomination for in the last 11 years, which are Best Visual Effects, Best Makeup and Hairstyle, Best Animated Feature, Best Documentary Feature, and Best Original Song. So Documentary Feature and Animated Feature, those kind of are hard to peg down because it's it's a very just specific type of movie that it's um, nominating. Um, but best song, best visual effects, and best hairstylings are like attribute categories. Um, and there are three movies this year that actually got some of those um, nominations. So I'm actually going to put those in as counter effects. Um, so Judas and the Black Messiah was nominated for best song. Trial of Chicago 7 was nominated for best song. And Mank was nominated for best hairstyle. So that wraps it up for each of the individual categories that we're going to look at. Um, so the tallies now are Judas and the Black Messiah and Mank are losing with three strikes against them each. Um, most of the rest have two except for Minari and Sound of Metal each only have one. Um, but at this point we're going to move on to another factor. So the next part of this is going to be about other award ceremonies. So in the weeks leading up to the Oscars um, and the nominations and the award ceremonies, there are four other award ceremonies, which are the Golden Globes, the Critics' Choice Awards, the SAG Awards, and the BAFTA Awards. Uh, so the Golden Globes, they announced their results in late February, the Critics' Choice Awards announced their results in early March. Um, the SAG Awards actually announced their results last week. And as of me recording this, the BAFTA Awards are announcing their results tomorrow. Um, of these awards, we can do the same thing that we did with each of the categories, which is see how many of the Best Picture Oscar winners were nominated in each of the comparable category of these different award ceremonies. And a lot of times what you'll see in from year, um, from award ceremony to award ceremony is that it'll start, um, like the first two award shows might pick a certain winner for the best picture, quote unquote. Um, and then the last two might pick a different one because it's sort of, there's sort of like a, a shift in people's thought and and part of this shift sort of bleeds through into the Oscars because they don't actually vote for the results of the Oscars. Like, like they don't do the final vote to figure out who won the award until after all four of those award shows have already happened. So the people voting have all of those in their mind when they're casting their vote. So some sometimes you'll you'll see that a movie's favored up front in this in the season, but then 
as it gets closer to the awards, it sort of starts tipping towards a different movie. Um, so of these awards, the Golden Globes, um, seven of the last 11 years, they were nom- the, be- the best picture was nominated for the Golden Globe. Uh, nine out of the last 11 years for the SAG Awards, and then 11 out of 11 years for both the Critics' Choice Awards and the BAFTA Awards. So the Critics' Choice and the BAFTAs are clear, like, indicators that a movie could potentially win Best Picture. Um, so there are there are two movies that did not pick up a Critics' Choice Award um, this year, which are The Father and Judas and the Black Messiah. And there are four movies that did not pick up a BAFTA awards, which are Judas and the Black Messiah again, Mank, Minari, and The Sound of Metal. Um, so only two movies in this whole category, in all eight of the ones we're looking at this year, were nominated for a SAG award at all. So I'm going to give those, instead of giving them a, a strike, I'm actually going to give them a check mark to sort of give them an edge over over other movies because um, because it's it seems kind of a rarity for for this group of movies. So the two movies are Minari and Trial of the Chicago Seven. Um, and then only one movie in this whole list was nominated for all four movies, and that was Trial of the Chicago Seven. Um, so the last thing that I want to talk about is the odds. So a lot of websites like to like to um, put out the odds of what each movie's likelihood of winning is. And this kind of bumped me out when I when I saw it right when all the movies were nominated because, um, like I said earlier in the movie, Nomadland appears to be the front runner. Um, I don't know why. I mean, I, I like the cinematography of it, but that's that's not enough for me to cast it as best picture um, or as the winner. Uh, but so so Nomadland is the front runner, followed by Trial of the Chicago Seven, Promising Young Woman, Minari, um, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Sound of Metal, and The Father. Um, but so what I wanted to do is I wanted to look back at the odds of or or how often did the movie that was the odds favorite win the best picture. And as it turns out, it's only 3 out of the last 11 years. And those 3 years are The Artist, Argo, and 12 Years a Slave. And actually 7 out of the last 11 years, it's the second odds favorite that won which is The Hurt Locker over Avatar, The King's Speech over Social Network, Spotlight over Revenant, Moonlight over La La Land, Shape of Water over Three Billboards, which is what I picked, Green Book over Roma, which is not what I picked. I ended up picking Black Panther. Um, although retrospectively, I would probably pick Black Klansman because that's, I think, the strongest movie of that year. And then Parasite over 1917, which I picked. But that year, I also would have been okay with um, Ford vs. Ferrari or Jojo Rabbit or Parasite. Parasite's a great movie. Um, And only one out of 11 years is it anything less than 
the second odds favorite, which was Birdman, and that won over Boyhood, The Imitation Game, and Grand Budapest Hotel. So I'm giving the second odds-on favorite another checkmark for just for that, for for not being the first. Which you, you're going to look at this and you're going to say, did he rig this so that Trial of the Chicago 7 would win and Nomadland would not? And yeah, I did. 100% I did. But <laughs> it's also backed up by the statistics I chose to show you. Um, and is that not what statistics are best used for? <laughs> As proving your point. Um, so when we look at the final results, we see that Judas and the Black Messiah has five strikes against it. Mank has four strikes against it. And the father has three strikes against it. Now, the rest of the movies, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of Chicago 7, each only had two strikes against it. But when you factor in the check marks that I was giving them, Minari had one extra check mark, and Trial of the Chicago 7 had three check marks. So I am pegging Trial of the Chicago 7, which was also my favorite movie and that's usually what i end up picking as the front runner it's just my personal favorite movie of the list um i'm picking trial of the chicago 7 as the best picture this year well thank you for joining me on this journey i plan on watching more movies um from the remaining categories there are a lot of movies that only show up in you know, best director, best actress, best actor, um, best screenplay, and don't show up in the best picture. So, so far I have only, I've only completed the best picture category, but I intend on finishing some of the other bigger categories, and I, I will attempt to do one more uh, complete podcast before the awards ceremony, where I go through each I'm not going to be as extensive as I was with this one but go through each of the categories and uh, share with you which is my pick just so that I have it on the record and when my my uh, prediction rate drops dramatically you'll understand why <laughs> um, so thank you for staying with me on this journey and I will See you in the next episode. Goodbye.